This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the programme that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr Denise Quinlan and today we're talking about the role that meaning plays in helping us to adapt to and cope with significant loss and change. My guest today is Professor Robert Niemeyer. Um, Bob, as he is a lattice call him, is the Emeritus Professor, Professor Emeritus in the Department of Psychology at the University of Memphis, where he also maintains an active clinical practice. Bob also serves as Director of the Portland Institute for Loss and Transition, which offers training and certification in grief therapy. Over the course of his career, Bob has published about 30 books and over 500 articles and book chapters. His work on meaning making and grief and growth has advanced our understanding of grief and our ability to support those experiencing grief. It is not possible to overstate his contribution to the field. So we are really excited to have him with us here today. Kiora, we are delighted to have you with us. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Well, thank you, Denise. It is a great pleasure to be here with you. Um, it is a fine thing to join you on this podcast. And, you know, I think it is actually, our, our, our program is called, our podcast is called Bringing Wellbeing to Life. And for mm-hmm. me, um, how, we, how we manage dying and how we look after the people who are bereaved is a huge part of bringing wellbeing to life. So I see your work as absolutely um, central to all of this. So you, your life's work has been studying grief. Um, and I guess, first of all, I want to just kind of get out there that this is about significant loss and transition of many kinds. So tell us more about the, the larger context, if you like, for grief. Well, first of all, I, I, I love the, the thematic description of your podcast as bringing well-being to life. I mean, of course, the, there's the beautiful double entendre, the double meaning in that, that uh, suggests that we're really enlivening the concept of well-being. It's not just an ag- abstract academic thing. It's not a presumption. It's something that we enliven by our practices, by our ways of thinking, by our attitudes, by our positivity, even in the face of adversity. And we are bringing it to life. Um, And in this, we also implicitly are bringing it even, as you imply, to death, Mm. um, to the experiences of the death of a person, place, project, possession, protection that we once took for granted Mm. as just a defining part of our life, right? All of those things that make life in some measure predictable and valuable to us. And when we experience these assaults, whether they are on our attachment relationships to people who are core parts of the story of our lives, they may be our spouses, our partners, our children, our parents, our siblings, our friends, our soulmates, we experience a kind of impoverishment in the story of who we are. We may lose the witnesses to who we have been, the reflective mirror held to our deepest subjectivity, our yearnings, our emotions, our desires, all of the interior territory, those mirrors may be lost to our vision with the loss of these precious witnesses. And we lose as well that window on the future that presumed their continued engagement with us. And so in this way, we experience potentially an assault on a world of meaning 
anchored in that relationship, or in the case of non-death losses, anchored perhaps in that profession, in that possibility, right? anchored perhaps even in a health status that we now lose as our loss either erodes gradually or in response to sudden injury or illness um, is debilitated considerably. All of these then cost us some sense of who we were, whose we were, and who we thought we were becoming. And all in this sense, challenge the sense of the meaning of ourselves, the meaning of our lives, um, and sometimes even the meaningfulness of the death of a loved one, especially under challenging circumstances. So that's the realm of meaning making that we're contending with here, really emotional, really practical, Really huge. And ongoing. Yeah, and I love what I'm really struck by listening is that um, there is the, the, the mirror, that the person that made me feel seen in the world is no longer here. Am I now invisible, unseen? That, that I hadn't really thought about it in that way before. And that's really, that's the, the present focus you know, separate from the whole loss of meaning and a, a planned future. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a very intimate understanding of, of meaning as a kind of pas de deux, a kind of ballet, often between two people, two partners. But the partners may or may not be romantic partners. You know, we, we have a very special partnership um, in relation to the child we are raising or the parent who is raising us or that sibling who is the longest living witness of the arc of our lives. All of these two, as well as the precious friends who may in some sense know us more deeply and often more compassionately than family, all of these are potential mirroring presences, which when they fall from our view through the dissolution of the relationship may come through divorce. It may come through geographic relocation. It may come through illness. We may lose a loved one, you know, one neuron at a time in a dementing condition like Alzheimer, one breath at a time with COPD, one cell at a time through a, a cancer that uh, cannot be reversed. Um, in all of these, there is a diminishment of our sense of self potentially. And uh, we require the witnesses of, uh, of our intimate territory in order to see who we really are. Um, so it's, it's not surprising that people feel like their lives are diminished, that what matters grows remote when the losses that they achieve are, or, or experience are um, fundamental. So much of your work has centered on the role that meaning-making plays, um, mm -hmm. that this is, if, if this seems to be like the through arrow that really helps people um, to cope in a huge range of situations. Uh, I'm so excited about this. Um, I, I was reading your work and looking at meaning-making being a mediator of so many different factors. And going, mm -hmm. That must have felt exciting, kind of having this <laughs> central sense of the... You know, like, oh, look, you know, it's, it's so important and it drives yeah. so many things. So talk to us about the role that you that meaning making plays. Well, let, let me say a couple of things. First of all, um, in the course of living, most meaning is implicit rather than explicit. And what I mean by that is we never think about it. We just rely on it to get through breakfast. We have our ordinary patterns, our routines, 
We have our means of relating. We have people we relate to on a habitual basis, often in family and beyond. And in all of these cases, issues of meaning, as long as it is working well for us, as long as the world is reasonably orderly, reasonably predictable, um, we can kind of see what's going to be stepped toward it, we can anticipate things, our responses are adequate, then meaning is in the background of our lives. It really is foregrounded for us when meaning is disrupted or invalidated, right? Where a world that we once granted is revealed to be a kind of fragile illusion. When, for example, a world that once seemed to rely on assumptions like of life being predictable, in some measure controllable, that some principles of justice, while inexact, generally hold uh, in you know the universe, or that the universe itself, or if we're religious in orientation, um, you know, or fate, in some way, other people can be trusted. We ourselves are capable of shielding those we love from harm. All of these illusions are revealed to be terribly fragile human constructions when we encounter something like the current pandemic or when we experience the very particular tragic loss of our son or daughter to a drug overdose, our partner to a vehicular accident, our parent to a suicide, you know, or to uh, dementia or a sudden heart attack or stroke, or our own encounter with cancer or other grave illness. In all of these instances, that whole taken-for-granted set of world assumptions may be stretched, right, or shattered by the experience. And so I do see grieving, right, this passionately emotional experience as having everything to do with either affirming or reaffirming right, or reconstructing a world of meaning that has been challenged by loss in some way. We, we need to put together a world that works again. Um, so that's part of what meaning means to me, is that uh, and the, the, the act of meaning making is something that we often explicitly struggle with when the implicit meanings are shattered for us. How can a child develop a, a, you know, a life-threatening cancer? You know, how is it that my job of 28 years can be wiped out by an invisible threat migrating across the oceans and the airplanes, right? These are, you know, they're surreal uh, to us at one level. And, and yet they force us to say, you know, how can I live in a universe this random? Um, how can I find and assert some control in the midst of this? This is actually something we're doing research on right now, by the way, with some very interesting findings. So the research that you're doing that's looking at that um, reconstruction of meaning, and I love this description that, that you know, we are this, this implicit, invisible support. Yeah, it's like a web, right? That, yeah. but, but sometimes that, that web becomes frayed or even torn badly. Yeah. The fabric of our lives needs to be rewoven. And, of course, we do this in narrative terms. You know, I think of the, the New Zealand um, Association of Counselors, right? 
And the the name and the language of the Maori people is Te Rupu Kaiwhiriwhiri Aotearoa, right? The weavers of stories in the land of the long white cloud. What a beautiful name for our profession. And so I think this is what we do. We, we as counseling type folk, whatever our specific discipline, we step into that place where we, we help people reweave the strands of connection to um, work the fabric back into a, a, a more whole and coherent, uh, uh, you know, sort of protective uh, garment that they can wear again. Grief is not just something we go through. It is also something we do. Mm. Grieving in the English language um, is an active verb. Bob, I know you talk about sense-making and meaning-making. Can you tell us how are they different? I do see meaning reconstruction as a big tent. And within it, you can have many different um, domains. So I would see sense-making as one kind of feature, like how do I understand the, the cancer that is challenging the life of a partner, right? How do I even understand that as a medical process, what it entails for treatment? Um, how do I make sense of my life now as a caregiver during these years or during the period that following the, my partner's perhaps inevitable death, what sense now does my life make in light of my widowhood? Mm-hmm. So I would say all of that is the kind of terrain that we inhabit when we deal with sense-making. On the other hand, we also have the notion of meaning as significance. What matters to me now? What goals, once vital and you know, sort of uh, nurturing in my life, do I now need to redefine or relinquish? in order to address the, uh, you know, the changed life circumstances that I have. So these are all, uh, you know, different facets of meaning-making. I love that meaning-making is a big tent. That, that, um, that really, I think that's really helpful, um, that there's the sense-making, the significance, what matters, and, the, the con- and then there's also the, um, you talk about constructing the new path. Um, yeah. and that paths get destroyed. So that presumably mm-hmm. is a long process of helping somebody as they, as they reweave the cloth or they navigate and find the meaning. It, it can be. You know, I, I do think that we, we need to recognize the remarkable individuality of grieving, even in the presence of these universal themes, right? Um, as the Buddhists recognize, suffering is universal. Right. Mm-hmm. None of us is exempt, and it's nobody's fault. It comes with the, the it comes with the reality of our being wired for attachment in a world of impermanence. We are beings who fall in love with people, projects, purposes, even possessions, certainly pets, and with the loss of each of these, right we experience a sundering of that attachment uh, or a challenge to it at least. Um, And so we grieve, but the extent to which we grieve uh, will depend on the meaning system that we, you know, basically rely upon and how much of it is perturbed by Mm -hmm. the loss. Uh, We may lose someone we love greatly and experience an acute grief, but if the death 
broadly fits into what we see as an appropriate narrative arc of life. Right? We have an elderly relative who dies after a lifetime of fulfillment and not under uh, grim circumstances. Um, then we may experience sadness, but our basic life functioning is not affected. Our, our meaning systems are, if anything, more confirmed than they are uh, invalidated by that. But the death of that same person in the COVID era, when even if they're dying of cancer or like my neighbor's uh, partner, um, a heart condition in intensive care, she can't even attend him Mm -hmm. in those days because the hospitals are sealed to visitors. Mm -hmm. And so we cannot tend and befriend our loved ones. We can't sit or sleep alongside them in that uncomfortable vinyl chair in their hospital room. We can't hold their hands. We can't give them a kiss. We can't through what they've meant to us. We can't seek or extend forgiveness. We can't celebrate their stories, right? And so even those normative deaths may become complicated in this era. Um, How much more so than when the deaths that we experience are off-time tragic? Um, They take from us people who are really central players in our lives who we expect to be a part of those lives, maybe our children, for example. Um, and so sometimes the, we are merely challenged uh, and subtly changed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we are decimated and we have to center down and, and rebuild life from the ground up. Mm-hmm. We grieve as a function of who we are, who we lose, and how we lose them. All three factors. And each can either reinforce our meaning and resilience or greatly challenge it. It is such a privilege to be here with Bob Niemeyer. Bob, thank you for reminding us that it matters who we are, who we lose and how we lose them. We're sharing Bob's interview over two sessions. So join us again for part two, when Bob will share the strategies that people use to help them rebuild from the ground up after difficult losses. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. You can listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz or on nziwr.co.nz or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. This program has been brought to you by the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. To purchase books or online programs on coping with loss and resilient grieving, go to nziwr.co.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.